Welcome to the Marketing Stir Podcast by Starista, probably the most entertaining marketing podcast you're going to put in your ears. I'm Jared Walls, Associate Producer and Starista's Creative Copy Manager. The goal of this podcast is to chat with industry leaders to get their take on the current challenges of the market, but also have a little fun along the way. In this episode, Vincent and AJ talk to Carolina Kochalewski, Vice President, Global Head of Marketing at Orion Innovation. She explains the parallels between marketing and her previous career in academic publishing. She also delves into how starting and remaining small for a long time helped Orion scale quickly and how she overcame her fear of being a camera. AJ gets a live fish delivery and Vincent wants to hear about the pond. Give it a listen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's me, Vincent Petrofessa, with Starista. That must mean only one thing. It's the Marketing Stir. Welcome to another episode. We love bringing you these episodes. Thank you so much for the feedback. Our viewership has gone up. That's great. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Please subscribe. Please like us. Please send us feedback. Starista, first, let me start. Who... What? Who is Starista? Starista Identity Marketing Company. We own our own business-to-consumer and business-to-business databases. From those databases, we help you get new customers. Take your first-party data, cleanse it, hygiene it. We have our own DSP, Omnichannel Marketing. We can help you. My email address is vincent at starista.com. That's how confident I am, but we can help you. I just gave the world, well, maybe most of the U.S. and a few other countries, my information, but we are growing internationally as well. Thank you so much for listening. With me as always, my person who I ride shotgun on this podcast with, my commander in chief, the CEO of Starista, Mr. AJ Gupta. What's going on, AJ? Hey, Vincent. I'm always looking for some excitement during the pandemic. So looks like we got some, uh, I, I didn't know this was possible. We had fish live fish delivered from Amazon for our pond. So wow. how cool is that? So this came in this giant box with water in it with fish inside. That's great. First of all, can I back up? Can you tell me about this pond? What is this pond you speak of? Uh, I bought the house and a pond came with it. Seemed like a uh, pet project from the previous owner. And it's it's got a nice little depth to it. And I inherited some turtles and fish and unfortunately we also have some raccoons and birds so the fish don't last as long as i would like and i discovered that amazon can actually deliver fish so one less shopping trip to make that is crazy so when do you move into the new places a couple weeks is are you already there no it's uh, about going to be about eight weeks of some reconstruction and permits and whatnot that's awesome. You have a pool and a pond. That's the name of this episode. I'm kidding. That's awesome. <laughs> My man's got a koi pond. I love it. I can't wait to come out and visit San Antonio, but not in the summer. As you know, it is really hot there. That's awesome, AJ. Well, let me tell you, I'm already able to top the koi pond fish because oh, yeah? we have an amazing guest with us today. Our guest they're amazing. This is, I love that people agree and say yes to be on this podcast. So we are very fortunate. Ladies and gentlemen, calling in from the Bronx, or originally hailing from the Bronx, which is calling in from 
right now in uh, Midtown. She's in the office. I love it. I'm also in the office. People are like, what are you crazy? Why are you in the office? Please welcome the vice president, global head of marketing at Orion Innovation, Carolina Kochalewski. What's going on, Carolina? Hi, Vincent. Thanks for having me. Hi, AJ. Really happy to be here. We are happy that you are here and in the Midtown office. You know, the uh, people on audio can only hear it, but the people on video, if you're watching on YouTube and on LinkedIn, beautiful new office, natural light coming in. You know, that's great. What, what uh, made you decide to go into the office? Are, are you, do you have to get out of the apartment sometimes like me? Oh, I do. Yeah. Once a week, I, I try to get out there and uh, we've just moved to this office in Midtown and it's beautiful. So this gives me a chance to, you know, check out cafes, you know, support local business, <laughs> uh, catch up for a coffee with some of my colleagues that are coming in. So yeah, it's a perfect day to do it. That's awesome. And, you know, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Carolina. Please tell people who are listening a little bit about you know, Orion Innovation and more importantly, your role within the organization. Sure, thank you. Well, Orion is a premier global business and technology services firm. We deliver digital transformation and digital product development initiatives for our clients. We're headquartered in Edison, New Jersey, and we have engineers in the US, in India, in Europe. Um, we're actually quite a mature company. We've been around for 25 years and we have a long history um, you know, out of New Jersey. Uh, we've been growing rapidly in the last few years due to a highly acquisitive uh, CEO and an aggressive growth strategy. Uh, he's been building out capabilities um, and scale across the globe. Um, Raj brought me in uh, about 18 months ago to bring and unite all of our newly acquired companies under one corporate brand umbrella. Um, and also build out the marketing operations function and drive new revenue growth, uh, build awareness for our company, our corporate story and our services. And, uh, you know, the nice thing about Orion is that it was a small company for a really long time and it was built on deep relationships with massively complex clients. Uh, so being nimble and agile is actually part of our DNA. And, you know, we've grown substantially, tripling, um, revenues in the last few years, but we can still operate with agility at scale. And more importantly, we enable our clients to operate with agility at scale. One guess what our tagline is. <laughs> <laughs> it grows with ability, uh, agility at scale. Is that what it is? Agility at scale, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And also, you know, but how is your company, speaking to your company, how are you, is your company and your team adapting I guess, to this new normal that yeah. we're facing right now. Yeah. Well, thankfully, quite well. Um, you know, our clients need us more than ever now. Um, what we do is we help, um, digitize, we help them digitize. And right now in this environment, we're helping them keep the lights on. We're helping, helping them deliver better digital experiences for their users and their clients. Um, we're helping improve operational efficiencies. And, uh, you know, these are the things that we do every day. Uh, back in February, um, when the coronavirus was still only categorized as an outbreak, we, um, you know, saw what was happening in Italy and um, we were already heavily immersed in um, building business continuity plans for our clients about, you know, how would we deliver on their projects and we already realized we, we may have to shift to a 100% remote model. Uh, we set aside infrastructure for that um, and then when this became a pandemic, 
we were able to move with lightning speed to 100% remote model. Um, you know, right now, this has made everybody hyper aware of the need for digital transformation in every sector and, um, and how quickly things can change around the world and, and how important technology has become to us. Um, in terms of my marketing team, we're a small and mighty team and, and you know, built a small team in the last 18 months spread across the US, India and Europe. My team's phenomenal. Um, we've been working around the clock since the pandemic. I think that most marketers are been as slammed as I have. I can't imagine a marketer isn't just working their tail off out there. Um, but through it all, I mean, we had new communications to roll out around uh, the pandemic and you know, for employees. But on top of all that, we had a corporate rebrand right in the middle of the pandemic. We had two acquisitions. Uh, we had a website relaunch and um, we also then had to pivot all of our campaigns and content to make sense in, in this new world that we're in. So really hardworking team, uh, shout out to my team. They're phenomenal and uh, they're a great support to me and we, we get a lot of marketing out. Carolina, you led a global rebranding during the pandemic. So what's that been like, I imagine, working remotely for most part? Yeah, you know, it was actually, um, you know, it was a bright spot in an otherwise dark, period um, that we were all going through right at the beginning when everyone was a little terrified. Um, you know, we, we decided, no, we, we, we've, been, we've been working on this rebrand for such a long time. We are not waiting. In fact, you know, we were a little late with rolling it out. So we continued. Um, it actually gave our employees, um, uh, you know, hope that actually our company was going to be okay. Um, you know, it's never easy letting go of legacy brands. We, we had some pretty big company state executive stakeholders part, as part of our rebrand and it was a long thoughtful process uh, when we finally rolled it out and landed on a, a name Orion Innovation you know I was surprised everyone loved it it was unanimous everyone rallied around our new logo it was bold simple sophisticated and um, it represented the future and who we had become and who we also aspired to be. On the one hand, it was a little sad that we couldn't uh, do a, a bigger splash at the time, you know, of, of our rollout. But on the other hand, it actually gave us um, a little bit more uh, a breathing space to execute some pretty time-consuming stuff, such as you know, all the corporate signage, all the building signage across the world, um, and all the swag, all the rebranded swag. We had no way of getting that to employees anyway. So, um, you know, we've taken our time to get that organized, and so everyone's have a nice little surprise when they get back to the office with new new signs, new logo, and new new chapter uh, swag. Now your background was in the academic book publishing world, so tell us a little bit more about your transition into marketing and some of the parallels there. Sure, I mean there there are actually quite a lot of parallels, and uh, yeah, I mean at the beginning of my career, I was an academic book publisher in Australia. Um, I transitioned into marketing when I came to New York uh, 17 years ago. Uh, the transition was actually pretty seamless, and uh, you know I I, I, I like an, an academic book publishing to um, product development. It's it's a lot like product development. A book publisher researches the competitive landscape, figures out the total addressable market. Um, you know, develops a, a product concept and a value proposition and then actually develops the product or the book with the author, um, you know, with certain flow and, and certain features and benefits and then, you know, launches that with a sales and marketing plan. So, you, you know, it, what I really took from that career is that it really did develop a skill of developing uh, compelling content and that's something I've taken with me in, in, in my next career as a marketer. 
Um, and it was also super valuable to see a product, uh, to see a product from inception to launch and what, what happens with that product. And ironically, you know, the beginning of my uh, academic book publishing career, one of the very first books I worked on was an Australian adaptation of a famous book called Basic Marketing by McCarthy. And uh, McCarthy was uh, one of the grandfathers of marketing. And he's the one who coined the four Ps uh, and product is the first P in, in, in the four Ps of the marketing mix, your product, price, promotion, and place. And he even, I think, preceded Kotler. So ironically, I ended up, you know, moving into marketing, but you know, <laughs> that, that was what I worked on. Now, that's one of the more unique ones that we've had, Carolina, as far as like a person and starting their career in marketing, you know, getting there. So that's very interesting. On the marketing stir, we also get into some of the nitty gritty on marketing and what approaches are working for you. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyone who knows me knows that I am a really big fan of webinars. Um, I had them for a decade. Um, back when, you know, you know, you know, back when the technology actually wasn't there for it. And I'm not talking about webinars, you know, your grandfather's webinar where someone's pushing a PowerPoint presentation and it's audio only. I'm talking about webinars that are like a, a mini little CNN news show where there's an anchor and where there's interactive panelists and, uh, and, and actually developing and producing that is actually quite a feat. Um, so a decade ago when I was doing that at one of the large professional services providers, there's some really smart, you know, partners of, of a big accounting firm who, you know, I was putting on a stage. The technology wasn't there. We were doing them in a studio, you know, and we had cameras and cameramen <laughs> and broadcasting live. Now we have webcams and, you know, it's something that I love has become super simple to execute. And, um, and, and, you know, the, the biggest thing, the reason I love this tactic so much, and it's certainly not the only tactic, we, we, we do a lot of different uh, things in marketing, but um, what I love is that it actually um, takes care of the three Bs of marketing. And I've coined that, you, you can actually quote me for the three Bs of marketing. Um, you know, one is, you know, we build the brand. Uh, webinars can really help with that. It's a pressure, pressure cooker for creating content, um, compelling content. Um, it puts our subject matter experts on a stage. Um, it helps build brand awareness and also helps with storytelling. It's a great avenue and venue for storytelling. The, the second B is building relationships. If we happen to have external panelists, um, it, it ends up becoming um, a situation where we're building relationships with those panelists, deep relationships. And also our audience starts to trust us. And, uh, you know, we're delivering, you know, some free advice and guidance on, on some on pretty complex um, challenges that our, our audience may be going through. So uh, that kind of um, uh, altruistic kind of delivery of education almost, you know, it, it builds loyalty in whoever it is, it is that is watching that content. So that's the second B, it builds relationship. And then the third B is uh, it builds pipeline. Most marketers have seen the stats out there. Webinars are phenomenal for driving um, lead generation. People are have, we have an, a reason to be reaching out and emailing people, people are interacting with that content, people are, re are registering, then they're attending, then they're asking questions, then they're watching a replay. And so the marketing campaign that goes around that is, is huge and, and uh, it's, uh, it's useful. So it's a great lead generation, uh, lead generation um, vehicle, but it is risky. And there is a lot, even with today's technology, there's a lot that can go wrong. And um, 
most of those things that can go wrong, you need a lot of practice, you need preparation, and you need a backup plan. What happens if your computer <laughs> crashes and there's a reboot that happens right in the middle of your uh, live broadcast? And we've got, we've got some backup plans for all of that. Um, and it's been working. You know, our LinkedIn following has doubled in um, less than a year. And um, you know, we are making new connections and people are trusting us from the moment they start to interact with us. And I think it's because of some of the content that's out there and, and, and they get a feel for uh, the minds of the thought leaders that we put on stage and the thinkers within our company and they're getting a feel for who they're actually going to be working with. So mm -hmm. webinars is my favorite. Yeah, you know, it's something that a lot of our guests have been talking about where, and I also think now is a great time for people because they're starved for content, really good content. The trade, the, the in-person events, Carolina are gone. So, you know, we've heard people say, normally my webinars get, you know, seven people. Now we're getting 7,000 people. It's been crazy. I always think, you know, I, I like to think it's because AJ and I are so good. It's, but it's, uh, that's why we have the viewing that we've been getting. But I think it's, A, it's the guests that we have on. And it's really also the time, I think. I think if maybe we put this podcast out a few years ago, maybe we wouldn't have as much success as we're having now. But it's really, I think, the content that we're putting out. So it has to be good content and, and a little bit on the, on the timing. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. My other question is, you know, everyone – we've been speaking to on the podcast is kind of in their digital transformation journey. I know that's a specialty at Orion Innovation. Talk to me about some of the companies that you work with or targeting to help them with that. Sure. Yeah. Well, um, it's true. Everyone is on um, a digital transformation journey, whether they're right at the beginning of that journey and they haven't done anything or whether they're, they're sort of part uh, partway down their their um, their roadmap for their digital transformation. So um, so yeah, every, this you know what we deliver uh, you know services for digital transformation technology services. It, it's relevant to everybody. So how do you as a marketer targeting zero in on um, who should be hearing your message? I mean, I often say to my team, we're not trying to be famous to everybody. We are trying to be famous to a small, finite group of um, companies out there that could really do with our services. And so, I mean, we love inbound leads. We will help anybody that reaches out to us looking for help. We, you know, we, we, um, we love those. And this is, this is what we strive for, to get such a pipeline of inbound leads that um, are ready to buy uh, services. But as a marketer, what, what, you know, for our marketing program, what we've done is we've taken a look at where are our biggest clients and our most complex clients that we've been serving and um, that have got the most challenges um, with enterprise systems and um, you know those are industries like professional services it generally has a lot of people um, so they've got a lot of systems uh, financial services uh, life sciences sports entertainment and media telecommunications so in these big industries um, you know we've started to build out content that's relevant just for them and that's sharing um, stories of other companies and what they're going through in their space and how they're, they're addressing those challenges. So um, really tailoring our marketing to uh, the language of the industries we're talking to and being really specific, being compelling and sharing stories is how we are starting to get, it, um, get noticed and, um, and 
you know, it's not, that, like I said, it's not that we can't serve everybody. We certainly can and we, we do and we try to. But where we have the case studies and the stories to tell, we tell them within those industries. Rana, one follow-up question on the webinar, mostly because we are trying to figure out how to do a good job ourselves on it. Uh, so what's your recommendation in terms of, uh, you know, the mixture of external panelists, uh, internal panelists, as well as frequency of the uh, webinars? Wow. Um, I, I really am a fan of having external panelists and help help them be the heroes of the show and tell their stories. Um, just like you've, you've done for me, this is really not that different to a webinar. It's a three-person webinar here. Um, so, but we, it, it's um, baby steps. You know, we started with internal, with, with internal um, panelists only, and we were telling our story, and we were telling the stories on behalf of the clients we've served. You know, how are they addressing certain challenges? So as we got more confident with the technology, we then started to bring in external panelists. And once we knew that we would put on a good show and that we would be able to guide those panelists and help them prepare, and we weren't trying to figure out things ourselves. So once our process became a fine oiled machine, then we introduced external panelists. You know, in, a, in about a year, we've produced six webinars. Um, my team is still fairly small, but ultimately I want to get to the point where I'm doing, you know, one a month. Um, and that, that's a lot of content. And I was doing that when I was, you know, back at my professional services um, company. Uh, we were doing one a month uh, for a long time. But, and it's, it's a pressure cooker. It's, it's a lot. It's, um, you're in the hot seat. It's, it's live. And there's a lot of pressure to deliver well. So until you're confident you can deliver well, you know, don't be that aggressive is, is what I would say. Because you can, you know, another thing I say to my team all the time, we can either help or hurt our brand with every single thing that we do. And uh, webinars are very visible. So in terms of cadence, yeah, you, you could, I mean, I know you guys are super aggressive now, but now you've got a great show and you know what you're doing and you, you can get out a lot of podcasts. So it's, it's a, a building process to get there. And then for the webinar, do you see that as a lead building tool as well, where you're utilizing the signups to target them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we see so many, we get so much data from that in terms of who, you know, how long people have, have listened in, what they've clicked on the email promotions ahead of the webinar, what they, you know, they've shared them, where they've clicked. So we are understanding who's most engaged out of people who've um, joined. And then did they end up following through and join or, or should we be following up with them and give them the recording because they're actually quite interested in this material and they may really be um, in a pickle right now or it would be challenged it, it's, it's something that we could possibly help with so it definitely guides our follow-up and we think thoughtfully we, we don't we don't try to follow up everybody every single person who registers and every single person who attends is not necessarily a marketing qualified lead and also if someone didn't register or, or didn't um, end up attending it but yet they interacted with the marketing promotions ahead of time that could still make them a marketing qualified lead. So the data we're able to get, I mean, finding indicators of who's ready to buy and who really has this pain point now, how can I direct the sales follow-up process? I think it's a challenge, a challenge everything, every marketer has. And I don't know that there's a perfect technology out there that can direct us. And until that's there, I'll, I'll take it. I mean, that's, if someone had that magic technology now, I would, I would definitely get that. But for right now, we're using webinars, we are targeting, you know, we're companies and in industries, we are telling a story for them. We're seeing who's interacting with that. 
and and get and what what, what um, indicators are we getting that they may actually be ready to buy or maybe uh, have have a challenge there that we can help with. Carolina, there's one thing I want to ask you about that's also you know that we have in common is your work with the Big Brothers Big Sisters of New York City. I, I was a big brother for seven years and I had two little uh, buddies, two little brothers there. One, uh, Devon, who kind of graduated out of the program. And then I had a uh, little Omari for which, uh, you know, I loved my time. Talk to me about your work with them and what you're doing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, that was in the early days of New York. You know, I had just completed an MBA at the time. Um, I was still woefully single in the city. Um, I was missing my niece and nephew, had time, and I had thought, thought about mentoring a child for a long time. Um, also, New York City can sometimes feel like a scene of uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, where they like, rounded up the children and they're gone, there's no kids anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, it's, it's a little strange that way. And so, um, you know, I, I needed a little, it, it was not so altruistic as it was, I needed a little buddy for myself. And so um, I had the time and um, I ended up getting matched with a young lady called um, Cassandra in the Bronx. So she was 10 years old and she and I would get out there and do New York together. You know, on the weekends, we'd get an ice cream and go to a cafe or go for a walk in the park and chit chat about girl things. So, I mean, my time with them was fairly short. I think in total, I spent a year um, as an active participant, an active big sister, but I loved that time. And it was, um, it was so, so good for me as well to really have that companionship, you know, which is so hard to find in New York, especially if you're um, a transplant, which I was, and my family was far away. And this little girl was almost like my little buddy too. And uh, made, me, made me realize what it's like to even like potentially have a daughter. And, Ironically, um, within that year, I met my husband and shortly afterwards came kids and then life got super busy, but it was a really fun time. And, um, you know, it, it, I, I monitor what they do. They, they often put events on around the city and I try to go with my kids. I mean, that's stopped for now, obviously, but um, well, I'm going to get back into it at some point. It's, it's been a decade since I was involved with them, but it was a fun time and a nice time for me. Yeah, the same. I, I kind of got involved. This is the Big Brothers Big Sisters in Porchester, New York, where I'm from, born and raised, which is a little bit above uh, the Bronx, you know, so I'm kind of, you know, a native New Yorker, as, as they call it. So for me, I love doing it. It's been almost a decade for me too, Carolina. It's kind of, I did it for about seven years and you know, I would love to return to it as well. Cause you know, same with me, like kids, I had some children, I have two little boys, uh, you know, two under three. And that's where a lot of my time is. But I, I always, you know, I, I donate to them. And I always love seeing that uh, any charitable work that our guests are doing, but especially the Big Brothers Big Sisters, cause that's a big one uh, for me, near and dear to my heart. So that's mm -hmm. awesome. Question, you know, we always like to you know, ask these questions there, you know, get a little deep there. What's been a highlight or a shining moment for you in the last few years? Yeah, okay. Well, this one's a bit of a doozy, but you know, I honestly think that for me, um, it's been stepping out in front of the camera. Um, you know, just the thought of being on camera or on a stage would make me break out into a cold sweat, just a really short period of time. In fact, when I got the email from you about this podcast, my absolute first inclination was to say, no, no, <laughs> no way. And uh, no way will I do this. And, uh, you know, if, 
if a marketing boss had asked me in the past, if they had said, your career depends on you having to go and deliver these messages on the stage and talk on our behalf, I would have said, absolutely no way. I don't care if my career depends on it. I'm not doing it. You can't make me. I'm not, you have to drag me there kicking and screaming. But what happened recently, you know, as, as I sort of became the marketing boss, um, I quickly realized that actually it's less risky delivering messages yourself sometimes. Um, there's less involved and sometimes with the time crunch that we're under, um, you know, it was time for me to step up and, and uh, step in and, and, and do that more and get more confident with it. And, um, you know, it's not that I'm still training others on how to be a moderator and how, how to, you know, deliver messages, compelling messages and my team, um, others in the company who are subject matter experts, coaching them as well. But I have started to step into, uh, step out of the shadows a little bit. And um, I'm finally getting to a point where I'm starting to enjoy it just a little bit and I'm not as petrified about it, but it is still quite horrifying. <laughs> Well, you could have you could have fooled me. That's uh, that's great, and it's like, yeah, you're stepping in. You know, you're immersing yourself as a moderator. Forget it. That's uh, that's that's going from zero to sixty. That's great. So, uh, you know, we appreciate that. Carolina, you're such a natural. I, I I definitely did not get the feeling that this was your first rodeo. This is my first podcast, my first invitation. Wow. And, uh, oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. The first, that's... Thank so, you. No, that's, well. We're honored. So how do you kind of recommend to somebody who is uh, in the same boat as you or as you were before, what are some steps they can take to get more comfortable with uh, speaking in front of an audience or on camera? You know, I always think this is baby steps and, um, you know, start in an environment that's fairly friendly, that is not hostile <laughs> and, um, you know, prepare, prepare your notes. What's, ha what's been helpful for me is if I can prepare my thoughts ahead of time um, I, and, and if I'm speaking in an area that I'm comfortable with, um, don't, don't try right off the bat speaking about technical content that really is not your expertise. So I will only speak on things that uh I understand and things that are near and dear to my heart. This podcast, the topic of this podcast is me and my career. So <laughs> if anyone should know that, it's me. So, um, you know, but, but preparation is a big deal. Even that, you know, you don't want to ramble. You want to make sure that you've thought about things and make sure that uh, you feel confident in how you're going to deliver your messages. So, you know, there's some short pieces of advice right there. Oh, that's great. We, uh, we always tell uh, new salespeople or people that have accidentally entered into a sales career and go to a networking event to just set goals. I'll try to get five business cards or 10 business cards as a starting point. And I've seen that help a lot of the early stage sales professionals. Uh, so one of the marketing related question for you that we like to ask all our guests is, uh, are there particular marketing software or tools that you love or that you're you have used in the past that you recommend other marketers? Yeah, I mean, I think my favorite right now, um, I do have a small team and we are digitizing, but we are still a pretty small uh, team and our company is not so large and so complex that I, I need to go with sophisticated marketing platforms. So what we've been using is uh, HubSpot. I think it's a great place to start with digitizing um, a marketing program and, and a sophisticated marketing progr program that um, has built-in automation where you can analyze all the interaction and engagement and data points. 
Um, and my team, it doesn't take a ton of training. Um, it's very intuitive. An old dog like me could, could figure it out and use it all the time. So um, I think it's a great place to start. And I'm a real fan of that specific platform for that reason, just because of its simplicity. And I know there are great platforms out there that are even more sophisticated and do even more, but you have to start somewhere. And, um, and that, that's been, uh, it does everything. It helps us analyze everything, our social media, and, and it integrates everything with our website, uh, our email marketing, our webinars. Um, there's, there's so many data points that come out of it that we are starting to feel like we are a sophisticated marketing operation you know, a year in uh, using that tool. So I'm, I'm a huge fan. And Carolina, the famous question that we, I just said famous, I, I just made that up. But the, uh, the one question we ask all of our guests, it's a LinkedIn question. And we've had salespeople from other companies tell us, thank you for this advice. I now know how to reach out to a CEO, a global marketing director. I even tell some of our own sales team where I'm like, how, you know, how do I reach out to some, listen to the podcast and you'll hear it from 36 different C-level executives. LinkedIn, what is a message that gets Carolina and your position, right, to get back to someone reaching out via LinkedIn? What's, an, what's a LinkedIn message that you say yes to? And what also is a pet peeve of yours when it comes to people reaching out to you? Yeah. Um, okay. It's a great question, by the way, um, because I think that learning from people, um, there's, there's no right or wrong answer here, but learning, you know, what, what ticks people off, but what really gets attention is, is a big deal. So for me, um, the thing that I love is um, when someone's really taken time to get to know me, I'm not just a person. Uh, you know, they've, they've, they've dug around my profile a little bit. They're, they're getting familiar with sort of you know, where I've worked or, or what I've done or a piece of content I've put out there or what my passions might be or my, what my style is and, um, and have noticed my touch on things. Um, a compliment gets you far. I mean, all of our egos are so fragile. I mean, somebody was to uh, actually send a compliment my way. I mean, that email is going to go to the top of the pile for me and I'll be like, oh, who's this person? Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, so, so that's, that, you know, that will always get you far. And uh, I think I didn't appreciate that so much as a younger person that it doesn't matter how senior somebody is, we're all doing the best we can. We all are trying to do a good job. We're all working really hard and we all like feedback. And, um, you know, it's something that I try to also do with my team, you know, when they're doing a great job and they are, always, I mean, they're working so hard. I, I, I take a moment and I thank them and I compliment them. And it's, 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 um, it's a team behind everything that gets executed. And, uh, and that's so important, but even, even senior people, you know, at, we do have the delicate, uh, fragile egos and, uh, a compliment will get you far. So, but make, make sure that it's not, uh, an empty compliment that you really mean it. And you, you really have either been inspired by something or, um, or you've learned through watching how we're doing our marketing, learn something that's actually um, resonated with you. So that kind of thing for me as a marketer is, is always a super interesting email. The, the other, the thing that I don't like so much is these broad email emails where someone, and they, I know where they're coming from and where someone says, give me 20 minutes of your time and I want to hear about your strategy. 
Now, and they don't tell me anything about what it is that they do or what problem of mine they can solve. Now, I do want to take meetings. I obviously don't have that much time to, to, to take a lot of meetings throughout my month uh, with vendors, but I do want to see, you know, what technology is emerging. There's so much technology emerging for marketers. It's made our jobs better. It's, it's helped us analyze more. It's um, made cumbersome things much faster. And I want to know, do you have the latest, the next big thing that I should that could solve my big dilemma right now. Um, I'm always willing to listen, but if someone doesn't include that um, in a concise, compelling way, it's you know make it compelling for me. Give me a reason why I should meet with you. Um, don't just ask for 20 minutes of my time to tell you my strategy. I don't have 20 minutes. I don't have 20 minutes to scratch myself. So <laughs> make it compelling and give me a reason why I, I should and I will give you that meeting. And so, um, you know, that's a pet peeve. Don't make it so broad. Much as I know where you're coming from, give me a little bit about what, what it is. What is your value proposition? What are you solving for me? Um, and are you solving something that you understand is absolutely keeping me up at night or, or, or very cumbersome in possibly how I'm, I'm running my, my program? Yeah, no, that's good advice. And I, I love the compliment part, right? That's how I got this job here. I gave AJ a compliment. I said how <laughs> how beautifully fitting his jacket was. I think I said your hair was luxurious, AJ. And then here I am over a year, uh, the vice president of B2B products. It's uh, it's the, the yeah. best best email I ever sent. I'm, <laughs> I'm joking. I knew AJ for many years, but it's... Uh, yeah, I like that. A little a compliment. That's actually, AJ, like say something nice about the company or, or do research. That's, uh, I love when someone says, hey, I listened to the podcast. That was amazing. Or I saw you host this award show uh, in the industry. Like this was great. Uh, yeah. Well, that's, wouldn't you agree, AJ? Yeah, yeah. I think we've uh, talked about it before. Our VP of sales has this term called the stroke. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I've seen him do this so many times uh, very well, even to people he doesn't know, have heard so many great things about you and all that. Only once has somebody asked, uh, really? Why? <laughs> who, who said that? Mm -hmm. But normally people just take the compliment because they want to feel good about themselves. Yeah, so. yeah but we, and uh, yeah, and so no, we get called that way. We actually, uh, on, on the podcast, we do our research and then we will get called out sometimes where people are like, well, we have it to back it up. They're like, well, what do you mean? It's like, oh, well, this is how we know you. This is what we've been doing. This is why uh, we get, uh, you know, but yeah, if you do give uh, a, a David Bailey stroke, as we say, the, uh, you have to be able to back it up. Like you said, um, and he does, he, he's, uh, he's right. genuine and uh, yeah, because someone's going to ask you to elaborate. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause like now I like, just, you know, not to go off with too much attention because the, this podcast, we reach out to interesting companies and interesting people really starts with the people first. And then, uh, you know, Valerie, my producer knows there's sometimes a person will say, oh, great, how? And then, I'll, you know, I love it because I'm like, well, you know, we spoke to Mark about you and, uh, you know, he had said amazing things or these are the six articles that I saw, you know, the webinars, the the, the seminar, that, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I love it. It's almost like a challenge when I get called out on it. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, this is how. This is not an empty you know, meeting. We're spending a lot of, you know, well, you know, my sales side of the business, but, you know, with uh, the podcast, I'm like, oh, no, this, we really want you on. This is, you know, this is an hour that we spend or an hour and a half, uh, you know, to get to know people. So, um, it's awesome. It came across very genuine and uh, I was absolutely flattered to be part of it. But I, again, I almost said no. Yeah, yeah you did. And, <laughs> and 
<laughs> you, that happens. People people say no, you know, for 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 different reasons, and uh, and we say no as well to people because now there's a lot of uh, you know public relations agencies that reach out to us and continue that. That's okay because you're doing your research on our podcast, and and then. Um, you know, if it's not like a, a great fit, like you said, Carolina, and I think the best compliment that we received is that we make it feel comfortable. And I hope, I hope we do, uh, you know, with that. Um, and you're so funny. So that, that's, you know, yeah. a lot more fun. We try to be, we try to be. It's easy when uh, AJ's naturally funny. So I, uh, it's, it's very easy. I play, <laughs> I play off of him very nicely and our guests. So yeah, I'm particularly popular in Germany. Yeah. The, you know, Germany, I know they, they think I, I try too hard, uh, and AJ's naturally funny. It's crazy. It's like, ah. AJ, AJ do not sell yourself short. You're, you're terrific. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. So, oh, you know, we, we have some personal questions. Still in that comfort zone. Don't you worry. It's uh, so more of like, you know, what do you, you know, what makes you happy? Books you read, TV shows that you watch, you know, what, what do you, you know, you're in the Bronx. What do you love about the Bronx? You know, uh, tell me about it. Sure. I mean, you know, what makes me happy is a little bit of nature and that's, that's actually hard to find in New York city. Um, you know, my family, um, you know, I've got three young kids now. I've got twins. I've got seven-year-old twins and a 10-year-old nice. boy. It's a girl, girl boy twin and a 10-year-old. So spending a bit of time out in nature with my kids, with my husband, we love to do hikes. Um, and it really is a great uh, juxtaposition towards what city life used to be like when I lived in the city. And, you know, as you alluded to, I, I picked the Bronx, you know, as my place to call home and you know, gives me street cred as an Australian uh, <laughs> to, to come from the Bronx. But uh, there is a really nice pocket there that we absolutely love called Frog's Neck and it's right on the water. It's a, it's a little boating community. Um, it really does actually remind me of Sydney and uh, it helped me not feel so um, homesick all the time. I think when I moved to Frog's Neck, I'm like, it feels a lot like Sydney now. Parts of New York really do feel like Sydney, and I love Sydney. I never meant to leave Sydney. It's, it's a phenomenal city. I accidentally left, though, and um, I found my family here and, uh, you know, put down roots. But what makes me happy is a bit of time in nature, you know, sipping coffee. I love coffee. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, reading books, I mean, I'm reading all the time. So um, it's not the thing that relaxes me. The thing that actually makes me most happy is uh, a little bit of downtime with my cup of coffee and a little bit of me time, listening to the water noises and nature noises and, uh, and hanging out with my kids and husband. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, Carolina, any kind of new hobbies you picked up during the pandemic or you've been pretty busy with your kids, I would imagine? Um, no, it, it actually has been a really good time to pick up a new hobby. And um, one thing I've always wanted to do um, is learn the piano. And um, I just don't know that I'm smart enough to learn the piano. I mean, my child, my, my little girl, Sophia, is quite um, theatrical and she's singing all the time and uh, she's got a great voice and she's got a singing teacher, but she also, I said, you can't just do singing. You need to also learn music and have an accompaniment. So bingo, time to have a piano in the house. And we bought an electric piano. They're, they're not that expensive and they don't even take up that much room. And so we, I got her into piano lessons but my husband knows what's behind it is uh, you know I'm living vicariously I am who wants to <laughs> learn the piano and 
I am her teacher, uh, so, that, so they all, all actually moved to remote very easily. Her, her lessons with singing and piano, she, uh, she actually um, is learning now the piano remotely. Her teacher is watching the keyboard and, oh, wow. um, and I need to help her with her homework and practicing. So I need to learn it and I need to pay attention. So I've been learning the piano and I've been, you know, my goal is not to be a concert pianist, but 10 tunes. I just want 10 Christmas tunes, you know, and I, I want the Christmas music and I want to be able to belt out some music. And that can't be so hard. It's kind of like when I first, um, you know, when I was single in New York and I thought, well, if I'm ever going to have, you know, a boyfriend or a husband, I need to learn to cook 10 great things. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, I can, yeah. I can commit to cooking 10 great things and they're my specialties. This is the same with the piano. So long as I can learn to, you know, play 10 great tunes and songs, I'm good. And then my, my girl can become, my little, my daughter can become the uh, Broadway star. That, that's very cool. So besides the pond, the previous owner also left behind a piano in the uh, living room. Uh, he wanted to charge for it and I said, you can take it. I have no idea how to play it, but it was too expensive to move. So he just left it here. <laughs> but uh, I, I can't play it at all. But I, I do have two recent kittens. And so occasionally when we're doing the podcast, the kittens will start jumping on it. And so it's kind of first time it happened, I was really freaked out. But turned out it's just the kittens playing the piano. <laughs> what a That's guy. Let a ghost yeah. <laughs> Exactly. That's that's awesome, and I I I like your daughter already, Carolina, because I too have a flair for the theater and the and the uh, <laughs> the dramatic right theatrics, and I'm always singing around my kids. I, I'm not. I don't think I'm a good singer. I think I'll actually. I take that back. Uh, my wife doesn't think I'm a good singer. I think I'm a great singer, but. You know, that's still up for debate. That's so not uh, only are you not naturally funny, you can't naturally sing either. Can't na I think I can naturally sing, but my my wife is like, you know, I think you're off too. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. No, anyway. Um, <laughs> I get told that a lot by my daughter. I want to try to tell her how, how a song goes because I've heard the song before. It's all brand new to her. Um, she says, mom, don't sing. <laughs> <laughs> the number of times I hear mom, don't sing. That's a lot. That's awesome. And so we've we've come to the end of the podcast. You, you know, one last closing thought that you want to leave us with, Carolina. You did it. You did it. So you know, love a closing yeah. thought from you. Closing thought. Okay. Well, you know, you know, one of the one of the things that I had to tell myself in my career over and over, it was just like this constant voice in my head, was with great risk comes great reward. And that kind of got me into my courageous zone. How can I be more courageous in what I do as a marketer? And it's something that I challenge all marketers to do. We, it, it, it's not the time to just be tweaking campaigns and trying to get more out of campaigns. To become a 10Xer as a marketer, you really need to take, make some bold moves and take some risks. Um, do what really frightens you or what might frighten you. Um, you know, try that new format. Um, come out of the shadows a little bit if, if needed, if needed. And, um, you know, my CEO takes, he makes big bets all the time. He, he makes bold moves. He acquired two companies that were in progress through the pandemic. And, um, you know, be glad he did because he gave us the capacity we needed, but he follows through. So, I mean, he, he runs the company that way. I try to run our marketing that way. We are making big bets. We are taking risks. We are putting ourselves on the spot, we are executing, um, we are taking care of all the details and uh, 
you know, so, so that's what I challenge other marketers to do. To do, I mean, all of our webinars are on our website, writing.com. If you want to, you know, we, we were able to do quite a lot of them in a short period of time. So there's a format there. Um, it works, which is why we keep doing it. And, um, you know, take some risks, try, learn a piece of technology, learn how to use it, and then learn how to execute, take some baby steps. But, you know, when you take those bigger risks, I think it's where all of those rewards come and, and that's where the magic happens. I like it. Beautiful thought. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Carolina Kochalewski. She is the Vice President, Global Head of Marketing at Orion Innovation. As she mentioned, it's orion.com. Please go. Orion Inc. Orion Inc. Orion Inc. Com. Orion Inc. Go check out the wonderful webinars that she has been uh, putting together and her team. This has been another episode of The Marketing Stir. Carolina, you did it. You were great. We really appreciate you joining us. I'm Vincent Petrofessa, the VP of B2B Products here at Sarista. That's AJ Gupta, the CEO. This has been another episode of The Marketing Stir. Thank you and have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Stir podcast by Starista. Please like, rate, and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email us at info at themarketingstir.com. Thanks for listening.